Well, what we try to do uh, the weekend after Christmas is uh, revisit some of the stories, the biblical stories about Jesus following those very familiar passages that we read about at Christmas time. And uh, so this week, we catch up with Jesus' parents, really, first of all, here, who are traveling in a caravan, and uh, they are the parents of the 12-year-old Jesus. And in this caravan that they're traveling with, they're tra- traveling away from Jerusalem uh, after the Passover because uh, w- they were there to celebrate the Passover. And uh, good Jews in those days would be required to uh, attend three feasts uh, per year in Jerusalem. But because the Jews by that point in time had, had really spread out all over the Mediterranean world, they uh, uh, sometimes would not be able to make it to more than one feast. And if they did just one feast a year, it was always going to be the Passover. And we can read in Scripture about how uh, Jesus' parents were good Jews and they made it a regular custom to go to the Passover. So that's what they did, and they traveled there with Jesus and traveled in a caravan, uh, uh, probably with others from their hometown. They did so because you wouldn't travel alone in those days for fear that you would be robbed, it, uh, it, it attacked somehow. Uh, in the story of the Good Samaritan, for example, we see what happens to somebody when he's traveling alone and he's beaten, beaten up by robbers and left for dead. So instead, they would travel in caravans and that would be safe and uh, they'd have these caravans that would leave uh, for Jerusalem uh, from a place like Nazareth, which would contain you know, a lot of people from that town, relatives, friends, and all that would travel together. Anyway, um, as they are leaving Jerusalem, they discover that uh, Jesus is not among them. And when they're doing this, uh, what I'm picturing is something akin to the movie Home Alone, where uh, if, if remember the, in the movie Home Alone, Kevin, the boy who's left alone, uh, his parents and the rest of the family, they get on this plane for Paris. And his parents are apparently quite wealthy. They're able to pay for everybody to go to Paris in the first place, and then they get to sit in first class. And they're sitting there in first class, and, and uh, Kevin's mother starts to get this nagging feeling that they forgot something. Of course, we, the movie viewer, know already that they forgot Kevin, but they don't know that yet. And, and she turns to her husband and says, I, I've just got this feeling that we forgot something. And, uh, and then, you know, her, Kevin's father looks at Kevin's mother and says, what, what would it be? I, I know what it is. We forgot to shut the garage door. And she said, oh, yes, that's it. We forgot to shut the... No, that's not it. And then she realizes. She says, Kevin! And, and realizes that Kevin is gone. And I pictured Mary and Joseph the same way, is that they're traveling with this caravan, and Mary says to Joseph, you know, I've got this nagging feeling. We forgot something. And he turns to her and says, you know, I know what it is. We forgot to shut the stable door. That's it. You know, after we took the donkey out, we forgot to, that's it. And, and she said, yeah, that's got to be it. No, that's not it. And then she says, Jesus, you know, realizes that they forgot Jesus back there in, in Jerusalem. So they got to turn around and head back to Jerusalem. But just like in the movie Home Alone, they can't do it all of a sudden. They can't travel alone. They got to wait for the next caravan. And because it's the end of the Passover, they've got all these caravans leaving Jerusalem and hardly any going in. So it would have been very difficult to turn around and head back to Jerusalem. But once they did and they uh, turned around, 
we catch up with them here in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, where it says, after three days, they found Jesus in the temple courts. In other words, they, it not, not only took a while to get there, but once they got there, it took three days in Jerusalem to find him, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Give him the guilt treatment. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, Jesus wasn't being disrespectful toward his parents. What he was doing was he was trying to explain that this it marks a moment of change for him. This is a transition point for him. And, and uh, uh, you know, in, in those days, good Jews understood that a, a boy would become a man at the age of 13. And Jesus was 12. So Jesus was not, not anymore a child, and he was not yet a man. At 13, he was considered to be a son of the covenant, and he was not quite yet a son of the covenant. But um, uh, he was just in that transition point so that uh, uh, at this point in time, he could look back to the things in his life, and he could look ahead to the things that are not yet going to happen but will happen. And, and, And it's kind of like what we experience on New Year's where we can look back on the things in our life and see things that maybe we had forgotten, things that we would like to have different in the future. Maybe there might be some regrets in there, some things that we would like a do-over on. But we can also look ahead to the things that are not yet, but the things that are coming up, and it can be at that transition point where we can, we can begin to change things. With Jesus, things began to change at this point in time. And, and uh, while he's there in Jerusalem, there's certain things that are significant about that because it's going to be, you know, it's the Passover now. And it's going to be the Passover when he's arrested and he's crucified. Also, he's sitting here with the, t- the teachers in the temple and talking with them and doing what people would do in those days, which would be sitting at the feet of teachers, learning from them. But Jesus was doing something different than that as well. He was also instructing them. He was giving them insights into things in the Bible that they hadn't seen before, opening up the Bible to be able to see new insights there. And it's, it's a, a foreshadowing of uh, what we're going to see in Mark 1.22, where it says this, that the people, this is when he's older now, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now Luke tells us about this event because it is the transition for Jesus, this letting go of the things in the past and beginning to embrace the things that are coming in the future. And uh, with us then, we can, in this New Year's season, I think we, if we take a look at the things of Jesus, those couple of things that we can take a look at Jesus and say, you know, these are the things that uh, really guided Jesus in his life and, and helped him to stay on task and helped him to live into that life for which he came. I think if we grab onto those same couple of things that we can see and identify in Jesus, then what we're going to be able to do too is be able to experience more of that life that we were designed to live, okay? 
So let's take a look at that. What are those couple of things that Jesus now is looking forward to, that we too can look forward to as we live into these kinds of things? Number one would be this, faithful courage. Faithful courage. Jesus was someone who had faithful courage. There are many times in Jesus' life, if he did not have faithful courage, he would have fallen. He would have fallen away from the task that the Father had given to him, beginning with the temptation in the wilderness. Satan tempted him. Jesus remained faithful uh, and was a man of great courage to stay on task. Uh, later on, when uh, some people came to Jesus and they said, hey, you know, you got to you gotta, uh, uh, no, don't go back to Jerusalem because you are going to in, run into uh, some real dangerous circumstances there. Jesus was saying, ah, I'm going to Jerusalem anyway. Luke 13, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod, King Herod, wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Faithful courage kept him on task. But the disciples were a different story. They were a different story. Uh, they didn't have faithful courage. When Jesus was arrested, they all ran. When Jesus was crucified, they hid. It wasn't until after Jesus was raised from the dead and they received the Spirit that these were people who, we could say, had faithful courage. And at that point in time, you couldn't stop them. I mean, it was, it was like, hey, you know, go ahead, arrest me, that's fine. You know, throw me in prison, that's fine. My God's got the key. They had faithful courage. Now imagine what you could do with faithful courage. Here's the problem, though, that I think the vast majority of people are ruled by fear, not by faithful courage which means that they wind up doing things that are irrational. They wind up doing things and making decisions that really are contrary to their own best interests. But if you have faithful courage, like Jesus, then you're able to make a difference in your world. You're able to change that. Really, if we, if we look at this, fear is the absence of faith. And Jesus said, in, in Scripture it says that perfect love drives out fear, which leads us to the second thing, which is love. Jesus did what he did because he had faithful courage, and he did what he did because of love. And we know from John 3.16 that God sent Jesus into this world because of love, because of love for you and for me question is, what is love? Well, what, fundamentally, love is other-centered. It is doing things for the good of and the sake of the other. It's love that will lead Jesus to that cross, love for you and me. So first and foremost, this year, do not forget Jesus' love for you as you enter this new year. God's love meant giving you a fresh start and a new beginning. It allows you to live life without regrets. First, by letting that love change you. There's a passage in Scripture that I think, uh, you know, every time that I read it, it's, it's like this, this cool drink of water to, to my soul. And it's from Matthew 11, verse 28, where it says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. Now, there, what Jesus is talking about is the very thing that he was experiencing as this, as this uh, young man in the temple. He's saying, come and sit and learn from me. You know, when he says yoke, that's that, like, it's like this thing right here would be a yoke that identifies with Jesus to say, hey, this is my letter jacket. I'm going to be studying from the school of Jesus. And the school of Jesus is in session, and he's teaching about love. And this love he's going to model for us and show us what this is all about and to say, you know, love involves forgiveness. So those things that we have in life that are are things that might hold us back from experiencing the fullness of life that God has designed for us are things that he comes in with his love to be able to, to change and, and write a new story for us. Jesus' words there are like a drink of cool water in a stressed out, divided age. So as you navigate your relationships, and uh, you got that other person in your life who's kind of getting under your skin, the question then in the coming year would be this. Okay, now that I've received that love from Jesus, um, ask the question, what would love do in that situation? A lot of times we talk about what would Jesus do. Instead, in this situation, ask, what would love do? Okay, because he is love. So what would love do in that situation? Or uh, whatever the, the other situations in life might be that, that you're going through where we're tempted to be self-centered and self-focused. Instead, ask, what would love do in that situation? And here's the thing is that living by love is a whole lot more fun than the alternative. If we live by fear, that's not very much fun. If we, if we live by self-centeredness, boy, it's a whole lot of work, a whole lot of stress to live that way. But living by love for other people is a whole lot more fun, which tells me this, that Jesus had a whole lot of fun. He had a whole lot of fun. I mean, it was a whole lot of fun to be able to meet up with that woman at the well who uh, had experienced all this rejection in life and be able to change things for her and turn things around and make, make a new beginning for her by investing in her. in her. It's a whole lot more fun to be able to um, know that you have made somebody's life better because you have been a part of it than to instead take life from them, which is what oftentimes happens. Living a life in love is a whole lot more fun than the alternative. But Jesus also demonstrated that love can cost you. Of course, it cost him when he went to the cross. It is something that is not free. But look what that love bought about you and me. So this year, you are not home alone. You are not home alone on New Year's this year. Instead, what you have is you have him with you. And, and as we look at the new year and whether or not you are a resolution person, okay, I'm going to invite you this year to think about living into this new year, uh, living toward that life that God has in store for you by looking at living by those two principles that, Jesus, that guided Jesus in his life. Faithful courage and love. Let's pray about that. Please stand. Lord God, we thank you for coming into this world for us. And, and Lord, uh, in the new year, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity for new beginnings. Beginnings, Lord, that are written by your hand, by your love for us, by your forgiveness, by the fresh start that you give to us.
And with that, Lord, we pray that you would so fill us with your love that it would overflow from us into the lives of the people around us. That we would not be ruled by fear in the new year, Lord, but instead by faithful courage, by leaning into you. And Lord God, that we would not be ruled by self-centeredness, but instead, Lord God, that we would find the fun of loving others and investing in them. Lord God, we pray this now in Jesus' name as we pray that prayer that you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.